an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know. What were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Welcome to Open Floor. I'm John Gonzalez, joined by SI's own Rohan Nodkini. Ro, basketball is in full swing, my friend. It is. Listen, we got we got big wins from India and the Miami Dolphins this weekend. Basketball's back. Like that's my people are talking about their own sports equinox. You know, oh, all four sports. A lot of people leaving out the T20 Cricket World Cup. I'm personally not. Who would so, do that? It, exactly. Very exciting sports weekend for me, to say the least. Yeah, we have a lot of cricket talk coming up, as well as uh, mm-hmm. this is now a Phillies podcast, so shouts to the <laughs> Philadelphia <laughs> Phillies for making the World Series. But we have a ton of basketball to get to. Uh, we will get into uh, the surprising Utah Jazz, the not-so-pleasantly surprising Lakers Heat, and I'm not even going to mention the other team right now. Uh, we'll talk a little Cavs. Uh, the Zach- Phillies are the one team that can make me root for the Astros, by the way. I just want you to know that. I'm aware of this. It's very yeah. strange. Strange that Philadelphia is in the protagonist role. Normally, we play mm-hmm. the heel. This time around, we get to play the face. Uh, but it should be exciting. I'm very, I'm, I'm thrilled for that whole scenario. But we have to get into Adam Silver making some very interesting comments. Ro, uh, he had, he had a, an address to the NBA writ large, but mostly to the Suns uh, in the Suns arena about a bunch of things, including. He's not so thrilled about tanking. He realizes that a lot of teams out there want to get Victor Wembanyama, the French freak. He's 7'4". He was standing next to Rudy Gobert in one picture, made Rudy somehow look small. To a lesser extent, I think some teams are also probably really excited about Scoot Henderson. But obviously, Wembanyama is the main guy coming up in this draft. And the commissioner called it a serious issue for tanking. Said he's had hundreds of meetings, row about this. And he said, we put teams on notice. We're going to be paying particular attention to the issue this year. 
And he said that he's thought about re uh, relegation, which I thought was interesting. And I'll get into his specific comments there as well. But what do you think about the commissioner wrapping uh, the league on the knuckles for potentially tanking for Victor? It's interesting. First of all, it's funny to me that, as you mentioned, you know, he was speaking to Suns employees on behalf of the league, apologized to Suns employees mm -hmm. um, for having to work for Robert Sarver, basically. I thought it was a little funny that, that I guess, employees, it was an open Q&A, and eventually they got around to asking him about tanking. Um, even Suns employees, I guess, have similar questions as we do. You know... It's been a pet issue for him, I guess, as much as it's been an issue for any commissioner. I don't remember David Stern talking about tanking as much as Adam Silver has, um, at least David Stern later in his tenure, as much as Adam Silver has the last few years. Of course, they flattened the lottery odds mm -hmm. recently, so now the top four teams, there's no one team that has a runaway chance at the number one pick. It's like four teams with a 14% chance. I, I just... To me, my issue is the league trying to, at least he's acknowledged the, the reality of it, but the league trying to pretend like there's anything they can do about it is a little silly to me, unless they're willing to take drastic measures. And frankly, I don't even know that relegation is the realistic one. Like there are measures for them to take that would maybe be easier to pull off than relegation that... To me, that that it was strange that he threw that out there. I, I don't even know how that's even remotely possible. He loves he loves like uh, all things European soccer format. You know, the midseason tournament has been a bugaboo mm -hmm. for him for quite some time. He says he thought about relegation, but he called it destabilizing. He said it would disrupt our business model. And even if you took two teams up from the G League, this is a quote from him: they wouldn't be equipped to compete in the NBA. He's right about that. The other problem is. You know, on its face, and I and I want to like unpack relegation a little bit here. But on its face, it wouldn't work the way the G League is currently comprised because the teams that are in the G League are controlled by NBA teams, and they're shuttling players back and forth. Mm -hmm. So, like, how are you going? Like, if you let's just say theoretically you dropped the Knicks, right, and you graduate the Knicks G League team, like that's part of their team, right? Like they've got. They control those guys, so it wouldn't work. They'd have to figure out a way to make those G League teams independent, and then like, how do you graduate those players if you're you know shuttling them back and forth? So it wouldn't work as it's currently comprised. But let's just fantasize here for a moment. Let's say you could make the G League teams independent. Do you like the idea of relegation? This is something that Isaac Lee and I, former uh, SI Weekly producer Isaac Lee, former Heat Check producer, and I have talked about. He loves that idea. I kind of do too. I don't like it for the NBA. I Listen, I, I'm all for strengthening the regular season of sports. I think it's a joke that the Phillies are in the World Series, when it should clearly be the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yo, yo, yo. What, you got to know your American, audience, son. What, don't make me what, have Shelby cut your mic. What American sports have done to the humble regular season is really sad. They keep diluting the product. I'm all for finding a way to get excitement and stakes back into the regular season. I just don't think really like, okay, let's like play out this example. Let's say the Knicks team gets relegated. Mm -hmm. You know, are these teams going to be traveling to G league arenas for, a, you know, whatever the G league schedule is, um, you know, how is it going to work revenue wise? There are just so many questions that pop up that make it, I think, frankly, impossible. Like it's just, 
there are too many logistical hurdles, you know, like practice, like all these different things that this, you know, are players going to get paid the same if they're playing a G League schedule as opposed to an NBA schedule? Um, what if like the Fort Wayne Mad Ants get promoted mm-hmm. and the league revenue takes a hit because they're making, you know, one thirtieth of the money that the Knicks would during a regular season? Like there's all kinds of considerations like that that I think make it impossible. So not to be like the wet blanket and like obviously we know it's a delicate situation, a complicated situation, and it's fun to talk about, but to me, it's so over the top impossible that it's not even that I can't even wrap my mind around how it would work in the NBA to the point where I'm like, it's not worth it. There are better solutions. It's not reality. It's not going to happen. It's still fun to think about. Uh, clearly, mm-hmm. you hate fun. I'm famously pro fun. <laughs> I like the idea of it. I mean, it works in the Premier League for a lot of different reasons. Uh, obviously, the NBA is not the Premier League. But in terms of like just to address a couple of the points that you were worried about, I mean, money wise, you know, there's a ton of money to go around, right? So some of those teams that get dropped end up with these parachute payments that, uh, and like it ends up as like a trampoline payment for the teams that get graduated to the upper league. So I think there's enough money to go around. The, the arena thing could be interesting, right? I mean, like all of a sudden you've got like the Lakers playing in the Mad Ant Arena and it's like, uh, you know, 5,000 uh, fans or whatever they hold. I mean, that, that could be interesting. Um, but no, it's not going to happen. It's it's highly unlikely. I just like the idea of it theoretically, and it's just unfortunate that the way that the NBA is is formatted, it, it's just they could never pull it off. I want to go back to the tanking component, though. You, you mentioned that the odds have been flattened, which is an important point here, because previously the worst team got a 25% shot, right? One in four. That kind of makes it worthwhile. Second shot... Uh, was 19.9%, and third worst was 15.6%, all of which are better than the flat 14% that the worst three all have right now. Silver said he gets it, that uh, it's a once-in-a-generation player in Wembenyama, but should teams be tanking? I mean, like, it feels like with a 14% chance that, you know, it's not a very good shot, and, like, you're throwing away your entire season. I, I'm not hugely in... I was before previously oh, very pro when it was the sixers doing it it was e- cool extremely pro tank but now that the odds have been flattened like it really de-incentivizes it for me not to me because it's still like a level playing field like what's the alternative you know you still are within the current setup of the system if you finish in that bottom three you're still giving yourself the best possible chance even if that chance is worse than it was 10 years ago you know you might as well give yourself that chance than no chance at all or a worse one. I, to me, they they have to start thinking of more creative solutions. And there's there's been there have been some out there. There was the draft wheel that had some that ideas. Nobody understands. You know. Nobody can explain except for Zach Lowe. I was into the draft wheel. I didn't hate the draft wheel. I didn't hate the draft wheel. You want to talk about fun? Yeah. I like you know. Let's let's spin a literal wheel, baby. You know. Um, there's of course getting rid of the draft, which I think is something that uh, should be considered. You know, is there some kind of rookie pool that's bigger for certain teams, or teams can bank it? They can you know work on it for a few years. Is it? I didn't realize that you were such a staunch capitalist, like like (laughs) free market, a free market capitalist where everybody controls their own destiny, which on its face, I I like the idea of, but I don't, 
I'm less of a capitalist and more pro labor, Jonathan. That's how I like to look at okay, it. Okay, pro labor. I'm I'm cool I, with I that. that our, but then I think that our workers should get to choose where they want to work. Well, and and that like for 99.9 percent of industries out there, I, I'm a thousand percent with you. But nobody's going to Memphis then. Nobody's going to well, Oklahoma I City. So, like. so that's why that's why I think there needs to be that has to work in tandem with some kind of salary cap rehaul because I think the rehaul uh, overhaul mm-hmm. because I think the way to make it work is you know Oklahoma City doesn't have a high payroll right like we need to make a system so that a team like the Warriors that's paying a lot of money is never going to be in the mix for rookies but a team that plans properly can somehow have saved up a lot of money to make it so that like if Wembenyama has to choose between 30 million from Oklahoma City and six million from the Warriors, you'd think he'd take thirty million, and I—that's the kind of situation the league should look into trying to create. How they go about creating it, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people smarter than me have, you know, thought about the economics of it. But I think there's a route to get there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm dubious on that in the same way that I'm. I, I don't think that there's any shot of relegation but i do want to get to something that that looks like it will happen eventually that uh, adam silver also talked about league expansion which you and i have talked about on this program he said that they're going to reevaluate it after the new tv contract the current deal with espn and turner expires after the 24 25 season he's worried that there's a potential of uh diluting the talent pool i don't worry about that i say expand Vegas and Seattle, oh, please. I hate expansion. Come on. You're dude. out on expansion too. Again, famously anti. I'd rather I'd rather have two less teams. I'm pro competition. You want to contract? I want to see, see the best players go at it. Like, get rid of two teams, add two roster spots to every team, and let's let's make every regular season game more exciting. Okay. Um, one, I like the idea of. Vegas and Seattle as NBA markets, that would be really fair, great. But fair. I would love to see basketball in those two but cities. But forget about the expansion park because now you've intrigued me. Uh, delete two teams from the NBA and crush the hopes of some listeners right now. Go ahead. You, you, you're, you're pro-contraction. Which teams are you getting rid of? Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like the NBA too much. You don't want me, two teams to go away. Let me, the players vote. <laughs> the players vote on their two least favorite cities. That's how we decided. I mean, in that scenario, Oklahoma City is not long for this world. I just think that if Oklahoma City's only chance at competing is to draft someone and hope they stay there for 10 years and not leave after eight after that first big extension... I I listen. I had a lovely time in Oklahoma City. I've talked about it several times on this podcast. Shout out to Goro Ramen. Shout out to Gun Ezekiah. You know, lovely time in Oklahoma City. Um, but if we're talking about how to get rid of tanking, that is p- part of the issue. There is there are certain cities that free agents don't want to sign in, and the league, frankly, bears responsibility for putting teams in those cities now. What are those cities? I think the players should identify them, not me. But what you, the players are not on this podcast. This was your idea. You're, you're, and that's that's, and this is a continuation of my idea. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here. Let's go through these teams. I'm not letting this go. This is going to be a, a dog with a bone scenario here. All right, so you've already deleted Oklahoma City. I'm getting rid of them for you. Uh, I think that 
you know, the Kings would have to be on that list, right? I mean, like the longest playoff drought, and it's a city that has basically checked out on the team, even though they wanted the Kings to stay. They built a new arena, and then all of a sudden the Kings go in the tank. I love that the uh, the stat during the playoffs last year where no player currently in the NBA has faced the Kings in the playoffs. Just wild. So they'd be That's up. Nuts. Memphis is too good, and they have John now, so you can't get rid of Memphis. Memphis uh, is great. People do sign there. Um, Orlando? Orlando would have to be in consideration. The Pistons have a young core you you know, and history, you so you can't get rid of the Pistons. Not get rid of the Pistons. Um, I think that those would. I mean, you'd have to you'd have to consider Orlando and Sacramento for that second team that you're trying to get rid of. Minnesota, possibly. Again, John. To me, it's I'm, I'm not trying to just take myself off the spot, even though that's part of it. But mm. if the NBA can identify through the Players Association, like these are the two cities where players have very little interest in ever signing. That's important information. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. Um, all right, I'll, I'll let you off the hook on this, and we can just all agree that the team that would be uh, annexed and deleted would be the Boston Celtics. So they're yes, gone too. Yes, agreed. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the last yeah. thing that you yeah. mentioned as well that um, Adam Silver talked about at the Suns Arena was, and this was ostensibly the whole reason for him addressing the crowd, even though he ended up making some news with these other topics, was that he apologized on behalf of the league office to Suns employees several times for the Robert Sarver situation. Uh, Ro, all good now? Apology enough after two decades of wor- wor- workplace misconduct? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I, on one hand, you know, I do commend him for going there, uh, seeming to have seemingly having a pretty open dialogue with these employees. You know, I think he acknowledged we knew Robert could be difficult, but we didn't know that he was crossing certain lines. I mean, I don't know how much I really believe that based on just what players have been saying recently um i don't think it's all good i think it's a good first step i'm not here to be like you know uh, i don't want to continue to eh, maybe we should be piling on the league i don't know i guess that's up to the sun's employees huh um hopefully that it's this is not the last time they hear from the league if they feel like it's you know they need more but it's a. It seems like a solid first step, at least. But I, yeah, I don't think it's. Yeah, I'm sure for a lot of those employees who are dealing with a lot of things from the fallout of that situation, it, it's probably not enough quite yet. Yeah, I mean, look, we talked about it extensively on this show and on Sports Illustrated Weekly. I don't think the way that they handled it was smart. I I think that they fumbled their way through it. That press conference that he gave afterwards was. A complete disaster uh, and they had a walk back. I, you know I, I the his quote especially to our colleague Howard about how yeah you know he basically saying there are different standards was was very bad was very bad also honest yes there's also like cl- to me there was clearly some kind of plan at play I don't think it's a coincidence that Sarver so quickly announced he was going to sell the team um, I think that he underestimated how much heat he was going to have because all the initial reports were this guy's going to stick it out and fight and come back in a year. And I think that the, the volume got turned way, way, way up after that silver press conference. And I think Sarver went, oh, man, yeah, everybody hates yeah. me. But but I do think the NBA was was happy to amplify those voices. I don't know if they literally had a hand in it, but. To me, there's something. There was something more going on in that situation. Is kind of my my feeling about it. 
Well, I mean, yes, it was a start. I'm glad that Adam Silver apologized several times on behalf of the league. I still think that they didn't handle it great, but ultimately Sarver is on his way out, and that's a positive thing. All right, let's talk about some basketball. Let's talk about, the. I think, the biggest surprise in the NBA right now, the biggest pleasant surprise in the NBA right now. If you look at the top of the Western Conference as we record this on a Monday, the Utah Jazz, we were just talking about tanking, and we expected, Roe, that this would be one of the teams to do it. And I don't know what they're doing in Utah, except for winning. And I don't know if this is like part of the plan, if Danny Ainge is like secretly a mad genius or if they're winning in, in, in contravention of like what he wanted to do. But they have some like probably too many competent basketball players on this team. And they got past the Pelicans in a really fun game and they're undefeated. It's been hilarious. Every like it started with them knocking out the Jazz in Utah, and you're like, okay, Denver's probably, you know, looking ahead to the game they have with the Warriors on Friday, and the next scene that comes in here is probably just gonna really stomp out the Jazz. They don't want to get caught in an embarrassing situation. <laughs> they beat, of course, Rudy Gobert's old team, the Timberwolves, um, and yeah, then they beat kind of the upstart Pelicans. It's been incredible. It's been incredible. I think Lowry Markkinen has been fantastic. You know, we talk so much about how the Cavs didn't trade anyone from their young core to get Donovan Mitchell, which is true. Markkinen was very good for them when he He was was. healthy. Uh, He he had 31 and 12. Uh, I'm looking at the box score against the Pelicans yesterday. He was fantastic. Um, Jordan Clarkson, I don't think has a turnover yet this season. I need to check his. Okay, he finally had one, but his turno- assist to turnover ratio is something crazy. Um, he's been fantastic. Mike Conley's always been a solid vet. You know, they still have, like, Colin Sexton can play. Malik Beasley can play. Rudy Gay can play. Markin and Conley Clarkson, you know, they don't have a star necessarily to orbit around, but all those guys can hoop. It's going to be interesting because I think this, regardless of whatever Adam Silver says, this is going to be an epic tank race. And even though the odds are flattened, you still want to be in the bottom three when all is said and done. Every win counts here. Every win counts here. Um, You know, maybe they're really able to turn it around and take just a truly epic tank job, but they're handcuffed a little bit because I was texting with... um, some of our colleagues yesterday, you know, I'm sure Danny Ainge is probably itching to make some trades, but they might be in a little bit of a holding pattern until December 15th when free agents who signed over the summer are able to be moved. That usually opens up movement for NBA teams a little bit more because as long as they keep, you know, marketing Conley, Clarkson, um, it's going to be hard for them to really, really go in the tank. It's not like they're playing random rookies who we've never heard of they're playing a lot of nba vets yeah that's so, what i'm saying they have too many competent yeah. basketball players but mike conley not dead yet he's out there playing no. over 30 minutes every single night marketing as you mentioned has looked really good i am a little surprised that not only are they three and oh but what do you think about colin sexton like coming not only coming off the bench but like not getting a ton of run yeah, look, 19 minutes, it's interesting. You thought that would be the guy that they just kind of give the ball to and say, hey, Colin, like, go figure this out. Try to score as much as you can. We're going to try to maybe build up some scoring habits for you during this lean year. That's not been the case. I mean, Will Hardy, who came over from the Celtics, deserves a lot of credit. 
Um, this is never a good position for a coach to be in early in their career. Um, we saw it with Brett Brown, the number of years of losing he had to go through. Uh, it sucks, but he's getting the most out of that group. Um, and he's he's unlocked the right combinations so far. So for whatever he's seen from the team in training camp practices, etc., he's unlocked the right combination so far. The marketing thing is really interesting to me because if he keeps playing like this, what's the price going to be to trade for him? Will the Jazz even want to trade him? They may not want to, but the longer you keep him, you know, he's going to steal a win or two for you here, and that's dangerous. You know, can can they afford to move him now? That's going to be really, really interesting to me. Yeah, I'm blown away by what the Jazz have done, and, and I think uh, despite the loss, both of us are still pretty high on the Pelicans. Um, can we just say how funny it is that they beat the Timberwolves? It's, we were all rooting for that to happen. Come yeah, on. of course. That's funny. Of course. Very. I, look, we like to be amused. It was amusing. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Less amusing. Let's talk about some teams that have not looked as good. Uh, and you're going to walk us through these. Let's start with your Heat. Uh, as we record this, the Heat are, they have a win. They're one and two, but they've not looked great. And you are, uh, there's a little concern on your end. Absolutely. I, you know, I think a lot of people have been unsure of how much weight to put on losing P.J. Tucker and otherwise mostly standing pat um, for the Heat in the offseason. To me, what Tucker did, I think Tucker could play above his size better than most players in the NBA. And I think so far, the Heat, I just look at a team that lacks a lot of size on the perimeter. Um, They're rebounding with Caleb Martin on the floor. Caleb Martin's been their new starting power forward, although he's suspended 
uh, for a game tonight against the Raptors. We're recording this on a Monday. Um, I just don't know that they have the same perimeter defense that they have had. Um, you know, Kyle Lowry last year, I think, was the worst uh, he's ever been in his career in terms of blow-by percentage guys getting by him. So he's not keeping guys in front of him as much anymore. Tyler Heroes, I think, improved defensively. I think he's done a better job, but that doesn't mean he's in good or even average defender yet. You know, he's always going to have a size issue as well. Guys getting by him. Do you like you him in Caleb the starting Martin. lineup? It was an inevitability. I think it's got to be hard for someone like Max Drews, who is literally starting in the Eastern Conference Finals and I think is a better defender than Hero, has more length, and, you know, can also get some of those catch and shoot. I think that if – I don't know because it, it another issue they're having is they, they don't have that scoring punch off the bench anymore. So now their bench lineups um, have a different configuration. Victor Oladipo's out. He was maybe going to be the guy spearheading the scoring on those those units. They're not getting anything from Duncan Robinson. Dwayne Dedman was great for them last year as a backup center. I think one of the best in the league. He looks like he's taking a step back. They, I, you know, against Boston especially, you want to compare yourself against the best. I think Boston's one of the best teams in the conference. The Heat just look too small. And, you know, Boston's able to stay in front of everyone defensively, and they're getting by everyone. They're collapsing the Heat's defense. Um, you just look at the three-point attempts in that game, Boston had way more, getting way more shots from the corners, etc. That's a good sign of the offense you're generating. Boston's able to generate way better offense. Those big perimeter guys are able to collapse the defense, get into the paint. Miami can't do that as successfully. And you talk about someone like Hero, you know, he started out really hot against Boston. My fear is still when teams switch everything against the Heat, and Boston has that capability when they really want to go to it, they were dropping a lot early in that game. I'm worried about that offense, the half-court offense. You know, one thing you hoped when Caleb Martin comes in for P.J. Tucker, maybe the half-court offense gets a little better, you add some more athleticism. That hasn't been the case. So to me, their size, the offense is still plotting. Um, those are serious concerns. The, a lot of concerns that you just enumerated. Yeah. But <laughs> good news, could be worse. Uh, at least they're not the Lakers. Which is a complete and utter disaster, continues to be. They dropped a game to the Trailblazers in just terrible, abject fashion that included Russell Westbrook doing Russell Westbrook stuff late in the game as the shot clock. Uh, still a ton of time in the shot clock, but the game was winding down. I forget he how tried many to go seconds. for a two for one yeah. when, there was no, when they didn't need to because they were up one. And I believe Kurt Goldsberry tweeted out this stat that Russell Westbrook is the first player in the last four seasons to take a shot under 30 seconds to go with more than 15 seconds left on the shot clock and his team leading. He was the first person in the last four years to take a shot in that position. Yeah, so that's what happened. He just jacked up a shot and everybody want Like even on the on the game broadcast, you could hear somebody saying, no, 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 Russ. Mm-hmm. And he was asked about it afterwards. He didn't have a good answer for it. So the Lakers fall to 0-3. We talked about this on last week's episode. I mean, yet another awful line against the Trailblazers for for uh, Russell Westbrook. He was 4 of 15, didn't hit a three-pointer, uh, minus four in the game. And again, I'm not a big plus-minus single game guy, but I think that there is a little smoke and fire for him. He's still in the starting lineup. What are they doing? You know, I was talking to a Lakers reporter not too long ago because I think when they moved Russ to the bench in that preseason game, um... 
it was a sign of things to come, right? They're going to move him to the bench. They're going, you know, they've sent out all these talking points that they're trying to get through the media. And then he's starting game one. I was talking to the Lakers reporter. I was like, why the, Why do you think they did that? Yeah. <laughs> they were just like, um, I think everyone is just so nervous about how poorly Russ is going to handle it that, you know, it would somehow make the situation worse. Um, you know, I, again, we don't want to beat a dead horse that is the Lakers. We talked about this last week where Woj said they might not trade Russ until after Thanksgiving, but... It's just, uh, it's bleak, dude. It's, it's bleak. beyond that bleak. I mean, look, is... look, we all knew that they're like when in the preseason when they were like, this is what we're going to do with Russ. You know, we're going to bring him off the bench. And also, he's super down to set screens and like do all the stuff that he wasn't doing before. There was 0% chance that, that any of that was ever going to happen because we all know that Russell Westbrook would not allow it to happen. And if it did happen, he would not be happy about it, which would make matters worse. But it's, a complete and utter disaster for them to have him in that lineup and have so much ownership of that team when he clearly like hasn't deserved it. I mean, it's a really, really bad situation for them. Mm-hmm. I will say I kind of um, respect where LeBron was coming from uh, last night. He was asked about Russ's decision to, which was a perfectly legitimate question and a good question by the reporter who asked it. Um, it might believe it was Dave McMenamin, but LeBron was like, I feel like this is an interview set up to get me to say something about Russ. I'm not going to do it. Um, I, I think it was a great question. And I, as a reporter, I can appreciate the answer. He didn't want to throw his teammate under the bus. So, but the fact that it's only three games into the season, we're getting into those situations is not good. Not really good for anyone involved. Not good uh, for the Lakers. That's another team that is uh, scrambling to figure out what's going on. There's one more team that you basically insisted that we have to bring up. <laughs> I, I did not want to discuss team. this team. I leave the floor to you. Um, the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, boy. It's been an interesting first three games. They're now 0-3. You know, they started off tough. Um with games against the Celtics and the Bucks, that's not easy. I get it. Um, but there are some interesting things going on here uh, as it relates to the Sixers. I want to pull up this stat Nikias Duncan tweeted out. Um, I will say losing to the Spurs was not good, by the way. Yeah. Just say started the season tough. Bucks Spurs. But uh, yeah, not ideal. Not ideal. I thought this was a really illustrative stat from Nikias Duncan that he tweeted out. Um, last year, uh, the distribution of touches, James Harden, 88.5 a game, Joel Embiid, 80.1 a game. Uh, this year that's gone to James Harden, 101.3 touches per game, Joel Embiid, 71.7. Um, so that's, you know, nearly 10 less touches a game for Embiid, many more for Harden, uh, you know, 13 more. That, to me, and I said it, that's going to be a year-long challenge for Doc. How do you find the balance between these two guys? Um, and that's that's kind of been the issue, finding the right co-star for Embiid. And I've said it before on this podcast. To me, he's not a typical superstar because of how much of a matchup problem he is. And the fact that he does play back to the basket in the post, 
I don't like the idea of a ball dominant guy next to him. I, you know, that's why I loved like the Bradley Beal fit. If you got like the best version of Bradley Beal, he is a shooter who can run off handoffs and space the floor. Um, I just think the we're seeing a better version of Harden, but it's like that Wario meme. It's like I've won, but at what cost? Um, it's like Harden looks great, but at what cost? Because if the cost is um, Embiid not getting enough touches, I think that's a serious problem. Then you also get into his conditionings affecting his defense. He's in a way deeper drop on these pick and rolls. That's hurting their defense. Um, yeah, I think you're giving a little bit. You're giving Embiid a little bit of a like an excuse here because he hasn't looked yeah. good. He hasn't played well. Yeah. The vibes have been awful. I mean, I don't know if you've watched these games, but he's checked yeah. out and his body language is really bad. And he also revealed after that Spurs loss that he didn't do anything for two months in the run up to camp because he was dealing with plantar fasciitis, which I, okay. I, I mean, like there's always something with him. Um, right. And it's tough because I don't want to sit here and be like, you know, people can go through every single one of his injuries and be like, this one was a fluke. This one was a fluke. But to, like you said, like he looks, uh, I'm not trying to give him a pass because he's the conditioning's not there. He's not, he, he, you know, when people talk about why he should win MVP last year, a big part of it was, how great is his defense is and the impact he has as a defender, which is all true when he's healthy. But when that's not there, um, you know, he had such a poor shooting game against the Bucks. Uh, those mid-rangers, those mid-range shots weren't going. Like, it's an issue. It's absolutely an issue. I'm going to read you a quote here and then we'll move on. Uh, this is from one Doc Rivers after the Spurs game. We're not ready yet, honestly. We're just not. We're not ready to win yet. You can feel that. We got a lot of work to do. Well, no no kidding. Yes, you have a lot of work to do. We're not ready to win yet. Take your time. Uh, but also, who's in charge of the win department? Yeah, like, you know, who's who's in charge of the helping you get ready to win? Typically, that is the head coach. You know, there was the uh, report that P.J. Tucker was yelling at everyone in the locker room that they, they're not going to be given a win. They have to earn it. You know, they're getting the Pacers. We're recording this on Monday. They're getting the Pacers tonight. That's a great chance to get in the win column. I'm going to be very surprised. If they lose to the Pacers tonight at, after an 0-3 start at home, it's full-on panic mode. It's full-on panic mode. It's like Doc Rivers, there's going to be a report. Someone's going to either have to give him a vote of confidence or like there's going to have to be something because 0-4, it would just be pretty pathetic to start the season that way. How uh, many do you think they'd have to drop to start the season before – Daryl Morey's like, all right, Doc's got to go. Like, what's the number? Owens, I think Owens seven year out. Seven. Owens seven year out. Yeah. Well, you can't. But uh, yeah, man, it's it's not been great. It's not been great. No, it hasn't. Uh, so that has been your annual or weekly Philadelphia 76ers report. And again, I want to point out, didn't want to do it. Rose idea. Uh, so send all your all your emails to Ro. Uh, I, no, wanna, I wanted to I wanted to make sure I kicked the city while they were down, in you know in anticipation of whatever happens. That's the thing though, bud. With this world, the city's not down, and that's that's <laughs> that is yet another reason why this is coming. Like if it's gonna happen for the Sixers, where they're 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 scuffling and they're not playing well, this is the perfect time for them because the you have no idea how much <laughs> air cover the Phillies and Eagles are giving them. If this was happening in a normal year when the Eagles weren't good and the Phillies weren't going to the World Series, people would be losing their minds right now. <laughs> but nobody cares because everybody's on such a high. I don't know if you saw, like, they 
people are climbing light poles and setting off fireworks yeah, yeah, in the middle of Broad Street. So nobody cares about the Sixers right now. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. All right, moving on. You went up to San Francisco to see the Denver Nuggets. Didn't look great in that first game. Looked much better against the Warriors. Uh, You tell me how they look. Jamal Murray was out there. I want to get into KCP. Um, What was your takeaway from the Nuggets? Well, first of all, I was there, and I encourage everyone to stay tuned because I'm writing a feature about the Nuggets that's coming out this week that I'm really excited about. Um, you know, I was really, really impressed with the Nuggets in that Warriors game. I know the Warriors came back. Listen, the Warriors are going to come back on a lot of teams. Like, I'm tired of this idea. Like, no lead is safe in the NBA at this point. Like, if you go up 20 in the first half, I don't care. I expect the other team to make it close. That's just the number of threes being put up, et cetera. Pina and I have talked about this, but... You know, people need to reconsider what what they think is a big lead in the NBA. So I'm not super concerned that the Nuggets let the Warriors come back on them. There were a couple fluky things that happened at the end of that game. And also the Warriors have, like, the greatest shooter of all time. Um, They come back on people. But for them to hold on, you know, Jamal Murray uh, has looked all right. You know, Jokic has made a lot of jokes. He was like, he didn't suck tonight. Um, He didn't play in that Warriors game. I think that he... I think that it's going to take some time for Jamal Murray, and I think that they are in a position, as you mentioned, to let him ease into it. Michael Porter Jr. has looked great shooting-wise, but I'm really, really excited to see how quickly the additions of guys like Bruce Brown and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope have made a difference for this team. KCP's been an absolute sniper from deep. I want to stop you uh, there. I, I want to stop yeah. you there. KCP, in the last game, 13 field goal attempts. Only MPJ had more. He took 10 from three, which was the same as Michael Porter Jr. That is a lot of work. I like Contavious Caldwell-Pope fine, 
but that is a ton of work from him. Is that sustainable, number one, and is that a winning formula, number two, for the Nuggets overall, if you've got to rely that heavily on KCP? Well, the reason I think why this is a winning formula for the Nuggets is Jokic does not want to lead the league lead the team in field goal attempts. That's not the way he wants to play. He doesn't want to score. He did it out of necessity last year. The, you know, I think it was Mike Singer who posted a clip. You know, Jokic has so much attention from the defense. There's one play um, against the – I can't remember now if it was the Warriors against the Thunder. Jokic is just, like, running across the lane. Like, he's coming from the left wing, running across the lane to the right block. Two defenders go with him. And it's a wide-open three for Caldwell Pope at the top of the key. Wide open. I mean, you know, I think KCP said during training camp, he's like, I know what they brought me here for, and I'm going to do my role 110%. It's to be 3 and D. It's a, to me, it's a good sign for their offense if those guys are taking a ton of threes. Last year, Denver was a terrible three-point shooting team, um, which hurt because the beauty of Jokic is the open shots that he generates for his teammates. And so I think for me, those are good numbers. You want... Uh, the wing guys taking way more shots than they did last year because their shooting is going to be so much better between Pope, MPJ. Bruce Brown was a 40% three-point shooter last year. Those were wide-open attempts. Can he sustain that? I don't know. But if he's average or above average from there, it's going to make a big difference. So to me, John, it's actually a good sign. It's a good sign because I think what Brown and KCP have done on both ends of the floor, that's what the team envisioned is we want to take the burden off of Jokic and amplify what he does best why he won MVP, he makes the guys around him better. Yeah, I mean, I, yes to all of the things you said about Jokic. I'm a little bit more skeptical than you are about whether or not like it's a smart idea and sustainable and a winning formula to be like, you know what? Our main guy, KCP, on the outside, just jacking shots, and it's going to be <laughs> the Nuggets are back. Um, I uh, Like I said, I think it'll be a work in progress and they'll find the balance. You know, one thing they haven't done a lot yet, we haven't seen a ton of Murray Joker pick and rolls, mm. um, the inverted one with Murray screening. So I think they're easing their way into it. Um, you know, the game is going to dictate it. I think, you know, part of the reason why on the league pass uh, rankings, I put the Nuggets so high is they just have a great offensive team. They have a really great offensive team. And they have a lot of options on a given night. So I don't know that the formula is necessarily KCP lead the team in shots. It's we're going to find the open shooters. And we trust the guys that we have on the on our team to shoot. And I think that's actually, you know, we've seen a team like the Clippers last year when they didn't have their stars do that to a level of success. Um, when you have good enough shooters, I think it's a sound strategy to to keep finding the open guy. And I think... It's been more that than, you know, it's not like they're feeding KCP and having them run pick and rolls and, you know, ISOs or whatever, but the ball is going to find the open guy in that offense. You uh, famously fond of KCP quite clearly, and that, that trend continues. Uh, let's move on. So I, I let, let, let me just – so I interviewed KCP last week. Okay. And I fortunately was not in a situation – or it, it didn't happen where I had to like – you know, someone introduced us. My entire life now, I've called him KCP because that's what everyone calls him. But then I'm meeting him for the first time and I'm like, do I call him Contavious? Do I call him KCP? It feels weird to go straight to nickname. You know what I mean? What'd you go with? So someone was just like, hey, KCP, this is Rohan. I'm like, hey, Rohan, Sports Illustrator. And he's like, hey, how's it going? And then I went right into the interview, so it didn't come up. But all I could think about oh, you was- gotta, like, You got to be like, do you prefer KCP <laughs> you prefer or Contavious? Contavious? Yeah, you got to chat him up yeah. a little bit. 
Yeah, yeah. Also, one time I was going to Vancouver with my friends, and my friend called Vancouver Vanquavius Caldwell Pope, and all I could think about was that joke. Oh, you should have dropped just, that on him. That, yeah. Out of nowhere. Like, I mean, he would have definitely yeah. gotten the reference. <laughs> all right, two more things, and then uh, we'll wrap this up here. Uh, I wanted to note that Zach Levine came back. He was dealing with a left knee injury. He started against the Cavs. He had a team-high 23 points in 28 minutes. Looked good. Uh, but the Bulls get blown out at home versus the Cavs. Yeah, that's an interesting one. You know, DeRozan goes nuclear in that first game against Miami, hitting all kinds of tough shots. Um, the Bulls haven't looked quite as good since. It's definitely concerning to me that this early in the season, I mean, you see it with Levine, seeing it with Victor Oladipo, guys who, you know, getting load managed this early in the season is not ideal. Um the Bulls are an interesting one. You know, that was a really impressive first one against Miami. I mentioned DeRozan. Uh, any Heat defender who switched onto him, it seemed like he was hitting shots over them. Good defensive performance from them as well. I love that they have Caruso back. I think Caruso does so much for them. Um, but they, they're another team that's going to have to figure out the balance, you know. They were just so good last year when Lonzo was healthy, yeah. when they had all their main guys healthy. And, you know, they had a home-heavy schedule and – DeRozan, people are wondering how sustainable the performance was, but uh, they're a concern for me because I think that, like you you mentioned the Cavs, and the Cavs are better. Donovan Mitchell had some great moments um, on Sunday. They played an OT game against the Wizards. They win that game. Donovan Mitchell's doing all the things down the stretch that Cleveland bought him in for. Uh, Chicago's now playing in in a better Eastern Conference they're going to need Levine. I mean, it was great to see him out on the floor, but I think it's it's got to be a little bit of a concern that this early in the season they're already a little bit worried um, about putting too many minutes on his knee. Yeah, that's not ideal for them. And I, but I am glad that you brought up Donovan Mitchell, who, I mean, really looks like he's fit into his new home. He's had 30 or more in all three of the Cavs' first games. That looks like an awesome fit for him. I wonder about the offense because, you know, last year – they, had, they ran that like really weird front court rotation that somehow worked out for them. Mm-hmm. And also Darius Garland emerged and was like, oh, this is my backcourt now because Sexton got hurt and then Ricky Rubio got hurt, although Ricky Rubio had been like really good for them off the bench. I, I still am a little curious about how it's going to look with Donovan Mitchell and Garland when fully healthy. But so far for Mitchell, it looks fantastic. Absolutely. You mentioned the 30 points. Mitchell's been really good. The reason I'm I'm I have some confidence in them together. You mentioned Garland. He got poked in the eye. What a like annoying like first game injury. Yeah. You get poked in the eye. Now you miss a couple games. But the reason I like it together is because they can both shoot. Garland is played off the ball for a lot of his time in Cleveland. I mean, they played with Ricky Rubio, who's back on the team. He was used to playing off the ball, playing with the point guard, a ball handler, etc. Um, Mitchell, to an extent, if you remember, the reason why the Jazz went out and brought in someone like Mike Conley was to alleviate some of the ball handling duties for Donovan Mitchell so he didn't have to bring the ball up every single play. So they both have a little bit of a history there of being in a similar situation. And then for Garland especially, you know, I'm not the first person to point this out, but if you remember kind of the play-in games uh, down the stretch against the Nets, down the stretch against Atlanta – it just felt like he had to have the ball in his hands and there were no other options, and he didn't really exactly seem to relish that. I don't think that's the way he wants to play. I don't think he wants to run 
every single high pick and roll. And I think that if you just think about that situation, that game, if they had had Donovan Mitchell those nights, how different those games could have been, how much easier Garland's life would have been. Um, he's not a Trey Young type player. He's not someone who wants to have this ridiculously high usage, pound the ball, etc. So I think I'm still really confident about them finding a way to make it work. It's it's fun. I mean, it's fun yeah. to watch. We'll see how it works out, like in terms of the win loss record. But it's definitely fun, and and I'm sure that Donovan Mitchell greatly prefers this than you know whatever the last few years of the Jazz didn't yield. So at least he's got a shot here. Uh, a lot Did of you things- see real quick that yeah. that he said on the Reddit podcast that him and Gobert both wanted one more run in Utah, which is kind of shocking to me, and I, I have no reason to believe he's like making it up. Although I, you know. That was a, that was a surprise to me that he said he told Reddick that. I'm not sure. I completely. I like. Yeah, I don't think he's yeah. he's making it up. But I wonder how much his heart would have really been into one last run because we right. saw what that team was. I mean, like, yeah. that team had yeah. a ceiling and it kept butting up against it every single season. So at some point, you got to go. Yeah, this is not going to work, and we might as well go our separate ways. For sure. Also, like. <laughs> I wonder how quickly, even if he felt that way, that would have changed like just six games into the regular season. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we'll see. Well, I, I'm quite confident that uh, he'll he'll be just fine in, in Cleveland and enjoying that situation. But there's a ton of basketball this week. So enjoy it, everybody. Rohan will be back on Friday with another episode of Open Floor. In the interim, thanks so much for listening. Bye. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. 
Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.